0: Welcome to Update One, the podcast of the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. Update One provides a forum for listeners to learn about national stories focusing on news, politics, and current events. Now, the
1: latest edition of Update One. On this edition of Update One, we'll hear from Maria Ressa who came to Washington to accept the International Center for Journalists annual award for her fearless coverage of the blood-stained war on drugs carried on by the current president of the Philippines, Rodrigo Duterte. I'm Irv Chapman, a longtime member of the National Press Club. Maria is one of the founders and the editor of the news website called Rappler. Before that, she was a correspondent in Manila and Jakarta for CNN cable news network and its lead reporter covering terrorism in Southeast Asia and then head of news and current affairs at a leading Philippine network, ABS-CBN, managing a staff of 1,000 journalists. Maria, how did Rappler come about? What's its formula? Why is your president trying to put you out of business? We started
0: in 2012 with 12 people. So imagine going from 1,000 journalists to 12 people. It was really culture shock. Um, But our idea was that we would use the the. Discipline of journalism, combine it with technology to build communities of action. That this new technology can actually be extremely empowering and can help our country, help the Philippines jumpstart development. Um, We grew incredibly fast with the help of social media, Facebook in particular, because 96% of Filipinos, almost 97% of Filipinos on the internet are on Facebook. That is our internet. And we also felt the negative impact of the social media, the shifts in the social media landscape in 2016. So um, our idea was, it was, for me at least, it was easier to start from scratch in 2012 than it was to turn a huge legacy news organization onto the internet.
1: And what was the formula that you adopted? Uh, w- were you a counter to the established print media, or the, the network to which you had been previously affiliated?
0: If you're asking me, like, what was what did I want to do? I wanted to put television in your pocket, right? Uh, in again, in, in that for me, I'd spent. 20-some-odd uh, years as a broadcast journalist. And I felt that this new technology was just so exciting, but legacy media wasn't yet ready at that time to shift. And I, uh, we were set up to continue fueling the primetime television newscast instead of developing digital. And the monetization, the business model for digital, up until today still needs to be worked out, right? So we thought that by starting Rappler, we could actually be able to take a stab at these problems. And we did very well in our first few years. Uh, We grew 100 to 300% year on year.
1: But why then is the president of the country trying to put you out of business?
0: I think a a main thing for us is free and independent media. We were free, we are free and independent, and part of, part of the reason that we were blamed later for helping elect Rudy Duterte as president, because we did cover him uh, well. Um. The problem is that in the new administration, once he took office in May of 2016, he took office July. By July, the drug war began. And you know we had our reporters from the night beat coming home and they would see a minimum of eight bodies dead a night through the month of July. And the death rate just kept increasing. We kept track of the people who died and part of the, uh, part of the problem is we continued telling those stories. Our latest series, we call it the impunity series on the drug war, uh, took a look at this from the eyes of the killers. And the killers themselves have confessed that they were given a list of people to kill and paid by the Philippine police. That's Those are huge statements, and we continue to do these investigative stories. In addition to that, we also, since we lived on social media, um, did the first series on the propaganda war, uh, so on how social media was weaponized. Uh, the very tools that we had hoped would strengthen democracy was used to fill a to-, to create a toxic sludge of hate that pounded the fracture lines of society. In our case, it was the gap between the rich and the poor, between imperial Manila and the countryside. And that fracture line then is used to spread hate and anger. And um, that that's what we're trying to fight against now. So this propaganda series um, aired two and a half years ago. I mean, we did this in... We gave this data to Facebook, which was our partner in August of 2016. And when I sat with them, I was saying, you know, you have to look at this because this is really alarming. Uh, and then it kind of like as a joke, I said, if you don't do something about it, you've got U.S. elections coming up. And Trump could win at that point. It wasn't a done deal. And we all laughed. And then after Trump won, I gave them the data again. <laughs> they asked for the data again.
1: Well, Facebook was your ally at the outset. But Facebook also, uh, and other social media, uh, was weaponized, uh, not only in the Philippines, but in the Ukraine, the Baltic, and other places. And now you've taken on a new role involving Facebook, uh, which you and others from Estonia to Myanmar to India have complained has been a fount of misinformation and bigotry, as you just said. Uh, Tell us about what you— warned Facebook about uh, to stop doing and what they have now asked you to do to help them stop doing it.
0: We gave them early warning before, you know, watching Mark Zuckerberg in Congress in the United States. For us, it was old news because I had been raising the alarm. I, f- I feel like I know how Cassandra felt, right? I, I It was truly alarming for me to have seen this. Um, we gathered the data and the data shows this. Um, It's belated, but finally, Facebook is taking action. Um, They've gone through the data, and they're realizing that it's, I use the phrase, enlightened self-interest. They must clean this up.
1: And how are you helping them do it in the Philippines? Uh,
0: we're one of two fact-checkers that they originally named early this year. In April this year, we became a fact-checking partner of Facebook. We continue to go through that kind of granular detail and then beyond that to put it in the context of what are the networks that are seeding this, this, um, this, these lies? Right. Let's call it for what it is, because it's lies that incite hate and anger and they spread faster on algorithms that that turn popularity into mob rule.
1: Well, uh, in your case, the Philippines, uh, you're not a target of uh, Vladimir Putin. Uh, Who are you a target of? Who's doing this number on you?
0: I think if you go back, right, if you look at what Russia did first, it its first target were its citizens. Its second target that we've seen, at least in the data, has been the Ukraine. In 2014, we looked at, you know, that data. And then when it started happening in the Philippines, I looked at how the Ukraine handled it and saw data is one way to go through it. Um, there is a connection because you're talking about geopolitical power. I think the it, the Russian disinformation was an experiment that succeeded beyond the wildest dreams and has been adopted by different countries and different vested interests. Um, Then you throw in, you know, your Cambridge Analyticas and and these kinds of digital uh, manipulators who help power, get power. Um, In the Philippines, uh, it is the, the cesspool where everything becomes viral are the campaign pages of then-Mayor Duterte and a vice presidential candidate, the son of former dictator Ferdinand Marcos. Senator Bongbong Bong Marcos ran and lost for vice president. He is contesting that. He claims he is the rightful vice president. So this is playing out, but one of the ways we can catch the disinformation is is by just looking at the frequency of of sharing from that, that kind of viral, where it can go viral.
1: So these candidates, in essence, are inventing lies about each other and throwing them onto Facebook?
0: I think what you've seen is that anyone who questions the extrajudicial killings, people who have been killed in the drug war, and you know, the first casualty of truth there is exactly how many people have been killed. The police themselves say at least 5,000 have been killed from July 1, and uh, 2016 until now. Um, Critics say as much as 20,000, tens of thousands have been killed. Um, so the first was to to pound people to stop asking questions because these attacks are, are very visceral, they are very personal, and they're done with impunity. Um, the second is any perceived critic of the government is attacked, and that includes a very systematic uh, breaking down of journalists and the credibility we used to have. Unlike the United States, you know, our, our institutions are weak in the Philippines and the Filipinos, in order to look for some sense of justice, used to go to the journalists. And then what we saw was a very concerted campaign to cripple trust in journalism and traditional news groups. And January in 2018, you saw two different surveys that had two completely uh, opposite results. The Pew Global Attitude Survey in January 2018 said that 86 percent of Filipinos trusted in traditional media. and the Eon, uh, EON, which is the Edelman Trust Survey, that's the local partner of the Edelman, um, their survey done on social media said that 83% of those on social media distrusted traditional media. You can't have 86% trust and 83% distrust in the same, in the same reality, right? But that happened because of the kinds of exponential lies that were told about traditional media, that real people began to believe. That's systematic, and that's a, a real um, evidence of how how um, how effective this tactic is.
1: Well, in fact, similar surveys give similar results in the United States. By the way, uh, this tactic of killing people involved with drugs. Uh, are you? Does he think he's winning the drug war? Or is- What's happening?
0: Well, President Duterte says that is the right way to do it. And that the only, you know, by getting rid of these criminals. Again, what does it do both in the real world and in the virtual world? What you're seeing is the spreading of violence, of fear, and um, a spiral of silence.
1: Let me uh, ask you something going back to your time at CNN uh, that network has a sizable core of foreign correspondents and producers. To what extent was your work and that of your colleagues been seen only on CNN International and not CNN in this country, which was interested mainly in stories involving Americans?
0: You know, that's always been the case I think Uh, and so I was I think I was at CNN during its renaissance years right I joined in 86 87 1986 87 and then I left in in 2005 Um, every major story where governments changed so I was lucky enough and and to be able to cover the transition in Southeast Asia from authoritarian-style leaders to democracy, starting with the People Power Revolt in 1986 that sparked a lot of these populi- the, these kinds of democracy movements in other parts of the world. And then every one of those made it to domestic, even if it's a small part. I mean, the, the end of almost 32 years of Suharto in Indonesia was a huge story. Mm-hmm. Um, Unfortunately, we only made it to domestic um, during either really great news, like the end of an authoritarian leader, or really bad news, Um, East Timor, violence, right? Uh, We have a lot of disasters. So I guess working as a correspondent, I ran the bureaus in Manila and then in Jakarta, this was a given. I was looking at the world through CNN's lenses and it was an American-based network.
1: Uh, Looking at all of Asia, how many countries have a press that is free and independent? And how many of the governments these days tolerate criticism?
0: I think what you're seeing is a rollback of democracy, not just in Southeast Asia, but globally. You know, starting in November of 2017, FreedomHouse.org came out with their study that showed that 30 out of 65 countries that democracy was rolled back by cheap armies on social media. So this is not, you know, if if anything, I always say that the Philippines was a cautionary tale for the United States, Um, but the same tactics have been used and, uh, you know, social media is global. The information ecosystem, the air we breathe is the same. And I think that that's that's part of the reason you're seeing this. I think this kind of craving for an authoritarian, a more, let's let's call it a nostalgic throwback to more authoritarian-style leaders. We saw this begin in 2014 in India with the election of Modi, right? And then in Indonesia in 2014 as well, we saw Prabowo, the son-in-law of former President Suharto, almost win and the only reason he didn't win was a viral picture the Saturday before the Monday elections of President Jokowi so he was able to take it but part of this there's been so much change that's been enabled by technology that people didn't want to think and they wanted someone else to make this very complex world easier and then social media's algorithms just propelled it push the change to move at a faster pace. And now we're in a world where facts and truth, the lifeline of any democracy, the ability to have real discussions based on on facts, that's in danger. And I think that's part of the reason the pendulum is swinging back. So uh, what we call for in the Philippines is while we still have life, We should be talking about this and we should be demanding accountability and an end to impunity.
1: Is there an antidote?
0: I am a free speech, uh, you know, freedom of the press. For me, the antidote is we can no longer say it's just more speech. We need to have an environment. What is our public sphere? We need to agree, regardless of which side you're on and what the facts are, and to be able to have rational discussions about the best way forward. That's not possible on social media nowadays.
1: Well, here's hoping on this edition of Update One. Uh, We've been hearing from Maria Resser, who came to Washington to accept the International Center for Journalists' annual award for freedom of the press. I'm Irv Chapman, a longtime member of the National Press Club in Washington. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me.
0: have been listening to update one a production of the national press club's broadcast committee you can comment on this show or any episode of update one by going to facebook.com slash dc or on twitter at pressclubdc. dc thanks for listening to update one